sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. So, tell me what your view is of the cross. Is it a secular symbol of the war dead, or is it the most sacred symbol of the Christian faith? That, in a nutshell, is the issue before the Supreme Court, or at least one way to look at a case. The Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty is one of many who filed Friend of the Court briefs, and here to talk about the Bladensburg Cross case, Jennifer Hawks, Associate General Counsel at BJC. Jennifer, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. It's my pleasure to be joining you once again. You know, we have been so appreciative of the work of the Baptist Joint Committee over you know, a very, very long, well, you're the oldest religious lobby in Capitol Hill and, and stalwart defenders of the separation of church and state. Why is BJC uh, opposed to this 40-foot massive Latin cross sitting in the middle of a highway in suburban Maryland that is there to commemorate some of the dead from World War One? Why do you think that it violates the separation of church and state? Yeah, that's a, a great question and a perfect starting point. Um, as you so eloquently you know, described, the, the, the case is about a massive 40-foot cross that's in the middle of this major intersection um, in Bladensburg, Maryland, which some of your listeners may know is just outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and so the cross was built in the 20s. By the 60s, the state of Maryland had taken it over, um, and then at some point later, it was um, the cross was actually rededicated to honor all veterans of all wars, you know, past, present, and future. Um, and so the BJC filed the brief in this case saying that it was unconstitutional for the government to have a cross on government land, this freestanding cross. Basically, for that reason, it's not the government's job to promote religion. It's not the government's job to favor religion over non-religion. The government shouldn't treat religious people or religious symbols better than they would um, those for the non-religious. And and so it was an an easy case for us to decide um, where to come in. And we wanted to defend the theological meaning of the cross and why Christians think the cross is so important and not let it be denigrated and redefined by the government to mean something else. See, this is, you know, I'll admit, I'm not as energized over these cases of symbols, you know, crosses and commandments and such. I agree with BJC's position that they violate the Establishment Clause, but, you know, my my bread and butter day by day is representing people of various faiths who suffer discrimination in the workplace, whose lives are severely disrupted on account of their faith and harmed. So to me, the harms that are caused by these symbols are of a different order than the ones that that I deal with day to day. But having said that, you know, your brief makes the point that the cross is a sacred symbol and that those who advocate for the public display of these sacred symbols, they de-emphasize their religious significance and they try to attribute some kind of secular significance to them. And, you know, 
the basic dictionary definition of that, it's a desecration. It, it's from a Christian standpoint, isn't this why Christians should be so energized about these cases? Is It's desecrating the most sacred symbol of the Christian faith. Absolutely. I mean, the cross is our preeminent symbol. The Latin cross evokes Calvary. Um, and so in, in the context of cemetery, Christians often use it um, in a way to, to represent the promise that we're going to see our loved one again. Um, and it's a very sacred symbol for us. It has a very specific meaning that's unique to Christianity. Um, our, our Jewish and, and Muslim friends, they don't have any teaching of the cross, that they don't have a, a belief in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the way that Christians understand it and venerate it. Um, and so this is not a generic religious symbol that several religious traditions accept. It's unique to us, and we should defend our uniqueness and, and be proud of that. So what about the argument, well, you know, look, this goes back to the 1920s, and we didn't have those concerns socially the same way back then. Just let it ride as, you know, uh, an ancient sort of monument. We won't do it again. You know, maybe we shouldn't be putting new ones up, but we should be allowed to keep the old ones. That's certainly I've heard around this case, and um, amateur history buff, and and so I love the fact that the monument went up in the 20s, and we got to do some historical research around the 20s. Um, and one of the things I learned was that uh, when Congress was looking at uh, creating the cemeteries in Europe for all of our fallen service members who would not be able to return home, um, they put up um, headstones, and many of them are a cross, um, small cross that's each individual grave. Um, but there was debate in Congress at the time of what do we do for those who are non-Christians. So even in the 1920s, we had this idea of the government shouldn't impose religious symbols on its people. It should be a free choice. And so if you look at those photographs of the uh, World War One cemeteries in Europe, um, if you look closely, you can see stars of David um, interspersed among the, the rows of crosses because we wanted to reflect um, the faith of our individual service members. And so that's what makes this case just so different. This is one, one monument that's supposed to stand for all veterans. And all veterans come in all shapes and sizes and from across the theological spectrum. Well, you know, and I'm struck as I'm listening to your history lesson that um, the world is not neatly divided, say, between, you know, Jew and Christian and Muslim. The reality is that not all Gentiles who may come from Protestant or Catholic heritage are Christian, at least not in the Protestant sense of someone who has accepted Christ as their Savior and has a belief and a faith in Jesus Christ as their salvation. Uh, so, you know, the sort of willy-nilly use of crosses for soldiers who are Gentile uh, kind of makes a, a presumption about their faith that may or may not be valid. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And the, um, um, in Arlington, um, the headstones are famous for their religious symbols that, that are on them. But, um, but Arlington permits our veterans, there's like three dozen choices of religious symbols veterans can choose. And, and the cross is a common choice, but there are symbols um, there's actually lots of different crosses that, that can be chosen, um, but there are symbols for um, for people of, of all faiths and no faith. See, I'm struggling with this, you know, beyond the legal arguments here, Jennifer, that, um, 
you know, when government makes these assumptions, oh, well, you know, if they're not Jewish, they're not Muslim, they're a Gentile, they're, you know, they're Christian, so we're going to use a cross. Well, that kind of waters down for those of us who do take the standards of faith seriously, that waters down what it means to be a Christian and kind of is a government sending a message that, well, doesn't really require very much to be a Christian. And, you know, it kind of waters down the faith, it seems to me, and precisely the reason why we don't want government making any sort of religious determinations. As an attorney who went back to seminary, uh, one of the things that that I realize is that any faith that is tame enough to be promoted by the government is not the power of the gospel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I want to fully embrace, you know, the teachings of Christianity and how they can be, you know, transformative and, and change our lives individually and as a society. Um, but that can only happen if we're talking about the power of the gospel and not not some watered-down version of it. So in your amateur history uh, studies, the the dead who are memorialized by this Bladensburg cross, first of all, like how many people are we talking about? Is it just from that local community? And do we know whether any of them or many of them were actually Christian? We know a little bit about them. Um, it's actually 49 specific individuals, and their names are at the bottom of the cross. Um, it's, it's now a little faded these um, after all these years. Um, and we know that some of them um, chose a cross to put on their individual headstones, um, but we don't know the religious face of all of them. Um, there is no evidence that any of them were not a Christian, um, but there's also not positive evidence that all of them were Christian. Okay, fair enough. Um, so this case uh, is expected to be decided by the Supreme Court, presumably before the term ends in June, right? Yes, it's it's described as one of the marquee cases, so that probably means June, but it could come out at any time. And this show probably will air sometime in May um, before it comes out. Uh, what's the worst-case scenario here uh, as far as what the court could do with this case? Well, I was in the courtroom for oral argument, and so I don't think the worst-case scenario is going to happen. But if I were to, to speculate as to what that might be, um, a worst a worst possible outcome would be that the court found that it was perfectly constitutional for the government to sponsor a 40-foot freestanding cross on government land, um, and that it's fine to put it up today so that we would start to see these fights in city councils across the country of which religious monument do we want to put in the city park. Um, and so that that is not a scenario I think any of our um, citizens want to be going through um, as we go forward. So your takeaway from oral argument, um, if you had to predict kind of how the court's going to go, what do you think is going to happen? I would say several of the justices were looking for a way to keep the cross where it is, um, but they were all interested in some kind of limit or line. Um, some of the advocates for the other side um, were making claims that we could put this up today and it would be just fine, that we could put up one religious symbol to represent everyone, um, and, and there'd be no constitutional issue with that. And none of the justices seemed to bite on that argument. They all wanted to push back. And so Justice Kagan was pushing back on, uh, well, maybe World War One crosses are unique um, because of the history of, of the symbolism there. Um, and then other justices were looking at more generally a, a historical line or, or test 
Um, and so, so I'm, I'm, I left oral arguments fairly confident that, that we're not going to get a free for all decision that, that, that if the cross is found constitutional, there'll be some kind of limit placed on, um, on, on this, this type of situation being duplicated. Okay. So in other words, that there is some sort of, shall I say, evolution of government action when it comes to erecting religious symbols on public land. Yeah, I would say that would be fair. And um, there were several briefs that supported the the position of the American Humanist that that proposed an out for the court. Um, We all agreed that the the cross is unconstitutional and it should be moved um, to some other piece of private land. Um, but if, if the court disagreed with that and wanted to keep it in place, that there, there were several outs provided to the court, so they might take one of those. Well, we will keep you posted, listeners. Our guest today has been Jennifer Hawks, Associate General Counsel at the nation's oldest religious lobby in our nation's capital, the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty. We sure appreciate the work of BJC. Jennifer and your work, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. As we close, remember, friends, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at www.churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association today. Producer of Freedom's Ring on the web at religiousliberty.info. Religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinock. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. 